This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. (laughs) People will disappoint you. Life will hurt you. But if you have something that is completely yours to invest in, something you are passionate about, you can rise above pain and find personal joy and connection. Valerie Atelis interviews Sarah K. Smullins, the author of Burnout and Self-Care in Social Work, a guidebook for students and those in mental health and related professions, second edition. Sarah K. Smullins has had a multifaceted career in social work. Upon her return to working with families suffering from neglect and abuse, she learned that mentors she had earlier relied upon were leaving the field, explaining they were burned the hell out, and identifying the cause as professional burnout. The year was 2005. At that time, burnout was not the household word it is today, Smolin said. I had never heard the term before, had no understanding of what it meant or its differences from depression. I immediately began research, beginning to present findings in 2010. Through this work, She realized that burnout can originate personally, professionally, in relationships, as well as physically. She identified burnout causation and the easily recognized signs and signals that burnout is in the wings or already there. Smolens published the first edition of Burnout and Self-Care in 2015. It became a bestseller. I learned that students recommended the book to their professors and to their supervisors, she said. I also learned that professionals who are not social workers Teachers, lawyers, doctors, school counselors, moms, volunteer professionals, etc., found the book's content and explanations relevant to their own lives. Evidence-based self-care approaches to alleviate and prevent burnout are described for each of the five arenas, as are the differences between burnout and depression. Attention is also given to psychosocial developmental factors in the life of each child, as well as the impact of both moral distress and dysfunctional leadership in our personal, relational, professional, and societal political worlds. Meet Sarah Kay at sarahkaysmullins.com. Here is the interview with Sarah K. Smullins. In your own words, who is Sarah K. Smolens? I am a woman who cares deeply about working with others to mobile, recognize and mobilize a life force that's in each of us that can then, through self and mutual respect, find a community and work toward the greater good for all. 
And I would say that most of my work and most of my writing has to do with that emotional, spiritual force within each of us that can make a fulfilling life personally and professionally and in our community and in our society. And my circle of chosen family, both family that I got through birth and through marriage and chosen family in my deepest friendships and my deepest professional relationships, uh, that is dear to me. And I do everything that I can to nurture it and enjoy it. And through that, I'll find balance and fulfillment in life and work with others who I'm privileged to meet so that they can also uh, find that kind of fulfillment and those kinds of rewarding relationships of love and friendship. I love the way you communicate that, (laughs) that message, yeah, beautifully and clearly. My first question to you, I have three uh, warm-up questions for you, Sarah Kay, today. Um, Why did you choose to become a social worker clinician? That's a wonderful question. That's a wonderful question, and it takes me way back. I was a political science major, and in 1959, I recognized the work of John Kennedy, and I wanted to go to the Democratic Convention in 1960, and I wrote a letter to every Democratic leader in Baltimore and Maryland. I'm from Baltimore, and Goucher is located in a suburb of Baltimore, and I had worked very hard with others to integrate that community. You know, I grew up in the South with the evil Jim Crow laws, which impacted on me greatly. Mm, Uh, And all of my letters got to a woman called Mildred O'Tanisak, who was our National Democratic Committee woman and a feminist and a brilliant professor of Mm. economics, Mm. not at my college, but at another. And she invited me to meet her. And uh, I I was appointed a page of the Democratic Convention. Long story short, she introduced me to Senator Kennedy, who said if he wins, he'd like me to work with him and a team. And I became a regional coordinator of the Young Democrats in three states. And then about eight months before he died, uh, we had a conversation and he said, I really think you should be a social worker. And I Mm -hmm. think you would love Catholic University as a way to begin your grad education. Never thought of social work. And right before he was assassinated, I began my first year at Catholic University. And when he first suggested it, I didn't want to say Mr. President, what are you smoking? Because I'm from an Orthodox Jewish family in Baltimore. <laughs> I couldn't see myself at a Catholic university, yeah. but I was treated so well there. And then when he died, I didn't want to stay in Washington any longer. And University of Pennsylvania picked up my scholarship and stipend. So it was the late President Kennedy who... I didn't know him well, but he was a very perceptive person, and um, his loss is incredible, as is the loss of his brother Robert. Yeah. I believe that deeply. And it's through knowing him that I became a social worker, and uh-huh. it was one of the best choices in my life. And then Penn at that time 
uh, was very, I thought I was going to go into community organization. Penn at that time and still is very clinically oriented. And I realized that I could combine two wonderful, important roads for me. Being a clinician, always having, uh, whenever possible, a pro bono practice, and in addition, doing what I could to educate and motivate toward the common good as an activist who had respect for voices and difference and wanted to listen deeply and carefully Mm -hmm. and build consensus, which I think is Mm -hmm. important functional leadership in families, in work settings, in society. And uh, as you know, I've written about that, and my second book will be out soon. Uh, And it stresses the importance of a healthy, functional society and the price we pay when we have dysfunctional leaders who don't Mm. understand the importance of mutual respect in our work settings and our community and our society. I love the reminder about listening, listening with respect. Yes, yeah, that's so crucial. Deeply deeply listening and not expecting agreement. Democracies are messy. Right. They're not me. But if we listen with goodwill, we can always reach common ground and compromise. Uh, And that's an an adult way of functioning. Do you know the rate of suicide among our young is growing? And I'm privileged that some of those who are young and feel so hopeless about life uh, consult me. And they tell me, here's what they say to me. The adults in my world have made such a mess of things. Everything I'm learning in school and college and in graduate school about cooperation and compromise and valuing others. I don't see that in the outside world. So what do I have to live for? And what I, and of course, we look at reasons and we go deeply into things. But my message to them is always you and your community can make it different. If you really value yourself, you'll find your community and you'll bring the changes that haven't happened and and you're mourning and you're upset and you're turning that inward and thinking life isn't worth living. But it is. And we need your generation because you know what's important. And that usually you mean I and my friends and my community can really change things. It just feels so hopeless to them. And I say, of course you can. That's the value of a a democracy. Your joint voices of common sense and caring for others, you'll protect our democracy. You'll make it better. We need people like yourself in positions like that higher positions, so to inspire and teach others how to live. Have you thought about that, Sarah Kay, a career in politics? Well, that's what you see. I'm not cut out for politics. Ah, but we need people like you there, though. Aren't trying to say that. Um, Aren't trying to say that. I I love my writing, um, and I so in I so um, appreciate the opportunity to work with people and with a closed door and confidence in connection. Yeah. Here's what I here's what I do. I work for the people running for office whom I believe in. Mm, right. I, right. I like to do that. I like to do that. You know, Valeria, yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. inner world people and they're outer world people. Right. And the people who 
successfully enjoy a political life are those who are really very comfortable as outer world people. You've got to be You've got to be away from your home most yeah. nights. That's and that's got to be your personality. And, and uh, along, I, I know, with the with values that we all believe in. And yeah. I'm, I'm not a public person in that way. I'm, I don't want to be out every night. I want to build with my family and my friends. And all day and night when it's important. I want to work. I want to see my clients. I want to do my teaching. I want to do my family life ed. And I want to write. And that's, that's where, but thank you for that lovely compliment. Actually, others have said that to me and have offered me a chance to, uh, you know, put my hat in the ring for things, but it's not who I am. Right. And, you know, I think the president, I think President Kennedy saw that in Mm, me, directed me well, yeah. And though I didn't understand it at the time. But thank you. Thank you. I, I won't stop working for the candidates I believe in. Yeah. I will not. I won't. And I know you won't either. Let me ask you this question. Mental health. How would you define what mental health is? What is to be mentally healthy? I think the mentally health. I th- yeah. And I'm so glad you're saying that because... I don't like branding people by these diagnostic categories that, that you know, many try to put the human condition under a cap of physical illness and uh, define the human challenges that way. And I don't. I think uh, mental health has to do with the capacity to like yourself, value yourself, and find love and fulfillment in your life. And the work I do is, as a psychotherapist is not, and as a clinical social worker, is not to uh, help, not to diagnose and not to label people. I think that's so unfair, but work with people so that they value themselves and find what I call an emotional sense of direction so that they can connect with others. And mental health is finding fulfillment in your relationship with others. And I think in work that you enjoy, wherever that and find fulfillment in and are excited about whether it's in a, in a so-called professional sense or being a professional homemaker or a professional volunteer, um, combining different interests. We are all unique. And if we find a road that's correct for us, then we'll connect with others and we'll find our correct direction. And um, if we want to do something and it fails, it doesn't find us fulfillment. It's a learning experience. It's not a failure. I, if, it is, if it stops working for us, it's a learning experience. And we pick up our pieces and we, we find a different way to express ourselves. And I think that's uh, an important way to find a road through life. Knowing, valuing, working effectively and knowing that in knowing yourself and valuing yourself, that's how you find connection with others, that inner spirit that you awaken. And and some people have never had the opportunity to awaken it. And that's the work I do. It's there. It's an inner voice. That's a self. It's your inner self and 
tap into it and your life is going to, despite obstacles and disappointments, your life is going to be a fulfilling journey. You said that in your book, somewhere in your book, you say exactly that. Uh, people will disappoint you. Life will hurt you. But if you have something that is completely yours to invest in, something that you are passionate about, you can rise above pain and find personal joy and connection. You said more. I think this part of the journaling, right, Sarah Kay? Right. I, yeah. right th so in the second edition, I tried very hard to find a journal. I've, I believe in journaling. I sometimes yeah. don't yeah. know what I really yeah. think until I journal, oh, to right. tell you the truth. And then I, yeah. I find I can define what it is inside of me that I really believe and think with heart and mind combined. So with each chapter, I try, I think, and I, I take, a, I go through my journal books and I have tried to find a succinct entry that will bring dimension to the chapters in the second edition of Burnout and Self-Care. Yeah, I like that you found that, 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 yeah. that uh, those words mean a lot to me. And it's really what I believe. Yeah. I, it's tested. It's life tested, Valeria. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it really made sense to me. It resonated when I read it. Now I have to have this. That'll be part of the intro, actually. So you wrote the book, Burnout in Self-Care and Social Work, a guidebook for students and those in mental health and related professions second edition, this one. So talk to me about the difference between the first edition and the second one. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, nobody, um, NASW Press, my publisher, is an academic house, and it's a small house, and no one expected the first edition to become what they call a bestseller. The reason it sold so well is that it, a burnout had not yet become a household word six years ago when that edition came out. And it was, it sold um, to those who weren't in the mental health profession because it defined burnout. It defined burnout personally, professionally, in relationships, and with our body as a readout for how we feel. And in the intervening years, I realized that societal burnout was very much a uh, part of our world, and I had not defined what it is. And I wanted very much to add it in a second edition. Um, and societal burnout are all of the throbbing societal problems, our environment, our deeply seated prejudice. Um, our political differences where we can't compromise and all of the problems that have been just our infrastructure, our infrastructure and everything that was um, bringing so much danger to our country. And we were mourning problems that needed to be addressed and weren't. And how complicated that is when you have leadership that rather than bring us together, exacerbate these differences and these common sense solutions that are, are so necessary. And um, in the first edition, I, I realized that the causes of burnout were just we were just overwhelmed by difficulties in relationships, by carrying so much, by a a society moving so quickly where so much is asked of us and we couldn't just uh, keep it all going in a balance. 
And then for the second edition, I realized that we were morally distressed. And I added that face or cause of burnout to my writing. So for the second edition, I added societal burnout, everything that's going around, everything that's um, overwhelming us, um, the discord in our world, between our nations, the wars, and the moral distress that comes from not ethically living as we could and should be living. And the mourning for a united ethical base that can bring our country and our world together. And I, I, tr- I add the, the cause of moral distress um, and the cost of moral distress and the cost of societal burnout to my writing. And it's integrated in the second edition. I'm wondering here, is there one source for burnout that kind of um, outstands or surpasses the other? Or they are all kind of equivalent or they affect us in the same way? Right. That's a that's an important concept to try to clarify. They're interactive. Um, right. For right. instance, you know, personal burnout has to do with our inner self and our cognitive ability, our spiritual ability, our intellectual and emotional ability, and how overwhelmed we will get if that's not balanced. Right. Uh, the professional burnout happens when we're in a setting where we're not treated well and we see abuse of those we're supposed to serve, such as what we've seen uh, surely early in the pandemic when the hospital, it's better now, but the hospitals did not have what was necessary to care for uh, the staff and the people around the staff who were dying. That's That's a potent example. And a relational uh, overwhelming burnout happens if we're in relationships where we're not treated with respect. And societal burnout has to do with problems we should years ago have become begun addressing and we've let them really get out of hand as our we haven't addressed um, the the natural climate control issues that are necessary in our world, and we're seeing the cost of that today. And the body is the re- is the readout for this. As an example, um, now if one has physical symptoms, of course one must get a medical opinion. Yeah. But if everything's okay. If we can't swallow what our body can be talking to us, what in life can't we swallow? What's breaking our back? What's a pain in the neck? Mm. What can't we stomach? What are we itching Mm. for? And the body can be a clue to the self-care approaches that must be part of our lives in order for burnout to be addressed and prevented. And, you know, even though there is a difference between depression and burnout, the same self-care strategies, though burnout is easier to address and eliminate, the same self-care strategies, um, evidence-based self-care strategies, can help us to um, live well with depression until we can ease it. Well, depression in um, many of the diagnostic approaches, is an illness. And 
with certain manifestations of depression, a black cloud that won't lift, bipolar illness, a psychotic episode, that is indeed a psychiatric illness. But so much of depression has to do with an inner life blow. Mm. Someone we we love who's ill and is not going to recover, yeah. uh, the loss of a child, uh, the loss of a beloved partner, someone who stops loving you, betrayal of a friend, connivance of a work colleague. These cause, this is this punch in the belly, if you will, yeah. depresses us. But the talking cure and support of community and medication for a short amount of time as needed usually brings um, health and solace as a return and we can then deal and um, know we can move on and and that kind of internal blow is part of life we we all in various ways go through terrible disappointments and losses in life yeah, yeah. Uh, that we can face and even grow from yeah, uh, right. even even right find something to go on for and the uh, the other thing that's important to talk about is mourning. Mm-hmm. Um, when we mourn a beloved whom we've lost, we can find a way to go on. But people expect, and we're told by some professionals, that we should get over mourning. Yeah. Um, I, that's not true. You yeah. never get over mourning the loss of a beloved. Yeah. It's a love letter. It stays with you, but it stays with you. But that doesn't mean you don't keep living. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and my clients and I talk about that a lot in our our lives. The other thing, often somebody stops loving us when it's not really love, when we like ourselves enough to say this has to change. Mm -hmm. This isn't mutual respect. And the person then says, I'm out of here. Well, that can be a blow to one who's given so much, but actually that kind of departure when you know you deserve better can be framed as a gift. I've seen that happen time and again. You say something that really kind of reminded me of something you said in the book. You say the ability to say yes to health and opportunity cannot happen if you cannot say no. Yes. So there has a lot to do with uh, inner strength, uh, getting to know yourself. I really find interesting that you capitalized the S in the word self. Talk to me for a moment about that. That caught my attention, too. Yes. Well, I do believe that we each have a self whom we need to recognize. And that's really uh, the work of Jesse Taft and Otto Rank at the University of Pennsylvania that I was introduced to. And Otto Rank believed that in the struggle to be born that every infant goes through, what is birthed is a self. And that self must be fed and nurtured in order to have self and mutual respect with other people of like mind. And that no matter what um, we go through in life in our formative years that's terrible, we can birth our own healthy, functioning, loving self. 
And that's the challenge of life. And I call and and Otto Rank and Jesse Taft called that the will that each of us have. And I believe, and I've tried to write about that, that when we're in touch with our own active inner life force, our will, we then can determine what I call an emotional sense of direction that in our conversation during this period, I've really been talking about our emotional sense of direction where we respect ourselves, where through that, we build relationships that can enhance that and not deplete us. And burnout is really a force of depletion of ourself, an outer force that depletes us. And the self-care strategies that we can bring into our life, such as journaling, such as rest, such as thinking outside of the box creatively, which I know you've done in your life work, Um, A major force to keep us motivated and passionate is our creative thinking and um, and live and allowing that dream to become our reality and working toward that dream. Something in us that, that just says, an inner voice that just says, this is what you should do. This is where you can really find something special. This is a person to invest in. Um, and trusting that voice uh, can bring uh, just such such joy, the kind of joy that you say we're all capable of being fit for. And we are. Hmm. Each of us is fit to find <laughs> that kind of joy. Ah, I love and how we say it. <laughs> and you say love is the answer. Yes, we have to yeah. really know we're deserving of love and that we can sincerely love others. Mm. Oh, my God, Sarah Kay. <laughs> I love your speech. <laughs> of course, uh, the way it's so clear. Thank you for, for finding those of us who, who are not, you know, I'm certainly not well known. Um, and you found my work. And I appreciate that because uh, I really appreciate that, Valeria, that you found my work. I appreciate you. It means a lot to me. It means a great deal to me. Yeah, I appreciate you and everything you do, the way you communicate the message of love. Yeah, I see that. The foundation for everything that everyone I speak with is love. They all come from that place. It's the most beautiful thing I can imagine. You know, and there are people today who are very powerful who didn't receive that kind of love in their formative years so they could recognize it in themselves and they can be our most dangerous leaders. They, they, They are our most dangerous leaders in a personal world, in a professional world, in a community world, and in a societal world. But they know how to drape themselves in this um, false vision of leadership, which is not leadership at all. Right. And um, so all, and what we see is those who don't have that kind of um, economic privilege, educational privilege, uh, who also didn't get love, the appropriate love in their formative years, um, these people become cult figures. Yeah. And they, yeah. they, they will not, they cannot see the danger that following dangerous cult leaders will bring them uh, and everyone they're in touch with. And uh, that's the challenge. 
to go into our schools and compliment uh, what families can give children so that all children know love and fulfillment, especially important when they're young and can believe in themselves and know the importance of self-respect, the importance of democracy, the importance of careful listening and respecting others. Uh, we need professionals in our schools to make sure that happens and then happens. And we need um colleges and places of higher education that aren't going to bankrupt our kids with bills that they'll never be able to pay. And and, and these are causes for societal burnout because, and personal, professional burnout, and relational burnout, because we are not, we in America, where we could do this, are not providing this. And I wonder if this is already happening or this is just a wish. Hopefully not. Is that already in place, being applied? Yeah, I think that there are. I think I do believe that our present leadership nationally is doing, I think our president is doing all all he can in our individual lives in America to bring much more hope and fulfillment. I believe he and his uh, appointments of in all directions, are doing everything humanly possible to bring healing and hope. And I'm hoping that more and more people who don't see that will recognize it and will recognize the cost of the years preceding him to our country. We are working on that. I believe we really are. I believe that despite different situations today um, on the world scene. We lived with the, the tragedy in yeah. Afghanistan yeah. and yeah. Uh, different people have different opinions about that. Uh, and it's been an exhausting uh, reality for all of us in these past weeks to face uh, the pain that we see Uh, And hopefully uh, we will heal and continue to work toward uh, a national and a world community where diplomatically we can continue what on a military level has been so frustrating. What a beautiful vision. I love your work. I love everything you do. I love, love, love your intention, the foundation. Thank you, Sarah Kay. I've enjoyed talking with you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Me too, as always. So before we end our conversation today, I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Yeah, let me just say that a strong message in both editions of the book, which is underscored, is how important it is If something personally or professionally is not working for you, to find the help you need to safeguard the preciousness of of love and life. And if you're not finding this kind of self and mutual respect in your relationships personally and professionally, I please get some consultation. I want to share Uh, With those listening, I have valued from that kind of consultation. I'm not just talking about my clients. I'm talking about myself. 
sometimes to make very difficult decisions, we do need some professional help. Um, and uh, so I, that's what I'd like to leave your listeners with. And um, I want to thank you, of course, for finding me and um, those who are, have tuned in uh, for the gift of their precious time and attention. Thank you. I love that message too. One that I believe deeply that we don't have to do it alone. We are not alone. And we can always reach out for help and guidance, right? And, and yes. And, con- and in this world of fast moving technological, of the pace that's just really, really going faster and take, than we can imagine, and it's not going to get better, we, we need not just constant contact with people. We need connection. Con- constant contact without connection will drain us. We need connection. We must find uh, our community of connection. That's essential, each of us. Yeah. Thank you so much again for sharing the wisdom. This is, to me, is timeless wisdom, I call it. What are three things about life you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body? We move on. So three things. Well, certainly one is love. But self-respect is essential for quality love and care for your body and uh, mind through health, caring for your health and continuing intellectually to grow. Mm. Never stop learning. Yes. Um, those, Those are my wishes for humankind. Yeah, never stop learning, right? That's an important one, too. And what is true power to you, Sarah Kay? True power is belief in yourself and never stop saying what you believe, even if others disagree. And having the courage to stand up for what you believe, knowing that life to be fulfilling will, is not a popularity contest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. And yes. the courage, the courage to say what you believe yeah. and stand up for what you know is ethically and morally appropriate um, and not yeah. to be afraid. And my last question is, what is another word for life? Uh, hope. We, that's, what I tr- that's what I tell my clients who are in terrible pain. It will get better if you believe in yourself and hope. Don't give up hope. No matter what your circumstances Hope and find a way. There's always a way. Mm, um, yeah. If with with a will, there's always a way. Yeah. And we'll hold on to hope. Yes. And we'll hold on to each other. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I don't like to say goodbye. I like <laughs> Me to say. Too. <laughs> to, I, I like to say to be continued. Yes. Because right. everything meaningful yeah. in life is continued. I remember that in your email. <laughs> Uh, yeah. When I email you, I say yes. that. Yeah, the first email that caught my attention to to be continued. Yes, 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 yes. Why not? Absolutely. I have one more question for you, the technical one, Sarah Kay. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Thank you. Yes, oh, thank you. www.sarahkaysmullins.com Com. That's S-A-R-A-K-A-Y-S-M-U-L-L-E-N-S. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. 
thank you so much again for your presence and we'll talk soon. To be continued, Valeria. Yes. Thanks for this opportunity. Thank you. Bye for now, Sarah Kay. Uh-huh. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sarah K. Smullins and her work, please visit sarahksmullins.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.